a 13 of the synod, the mortal synod, the synod on synodality has concluded. I went a little late today. There are a few reasons I wanted to double check whether there would be announcements made late breaking after it. Another story broke about 18, 20 hours ago about this synod. By the story broke, I really just mean that it came to anyone's attention. In the 29th page of uh, the Synod document at Synod.va, Vatican Synod site, official site, on this 29th page, it reads the following. This is pointed out by Father Dave Nix, a friend of the show and well-known to many of you. What is a merciful heart? It is a heart on fire a traditional symbol of charity, a heart on fire for the whole of creation, for humanity, for the birds, for the animals, for demons, and for all that exists. End quote. I went myself to the page after Father... Nick's screenshotted it. I, I trusted him, but I just wanted to do my own due diligence. Made sure that this is exactly the translation given by the Vatican. It's still up. You can go to the 29th page of the Synod document. Oh, you can hear fine. Okay. Yeah. And we thought, we thought we couldn't hear. And it is, as a matter of fact, up and well. So that is it. That a charity kind of love is being called down for demons. And I've called this the mortal synod, the, the, the synod on mortal sin. It is a synod, a synod by and for people that are not committed to reconciling and atoning for their sins, but for codifying their sins, for rebelling against holy God, and making sin okay. So th I don't find this that surprising. When we talk about mercy, misericordia in Latin, the way it's written, misericordia, this is associated as one of the functions, the ergons of charity. And so what the Pope Splainers, who saw Father Nix's tweet, took to doing on Twitter, and so there's basically no merit to these claims, it's just a frantic story trotted out there, is to have said that this was actually a quotation from Thomas Aquinas. People, people were writing this up and down Father Nix's uh, screenshot. This is a quote from Aquinas. We love demons, love the sin, hate the sinner. Um, I'm sorry, hate the sin, love the sinner. Here's the actual quotation from Aquinas on this kind of charity. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it throughout the show. There is some other Synod news from Synod Friday. So let me just read to you the quotation. I'll read some messages, and then I'll give you the explanation of the quotation. This is from the Summa. Summa. The, Thomas rejects the Synod's sense of charitable friendship with demons. You cannot have 
charitable, mercy-inspired friendship with demons. He says, a thing may be loved as the person who is the object of friendship. He means this generically. Anything may be loved as the person who is the object of friendship. You're loving the person himself in, in what's called friendship. And thus we cannot have the friendship of charity toward the demons. No, closed way. For it is an essential part of friendship that one should be a well-wisher toward one's friend. And he unpacks what this means. This is very important. And it is impossible for us, out of charity, to desire the good of everlasting life to which charity is referred for those spirits whom God has condemned eternally, since this would be in opposition to our charity toward God, whereby we approve of his justice. Do you understand this? I, I, I hope so, because lots of people were throwing around the Aquinas passage on Twitter and not understanding it. And it's a shame. They were throwing this around. They were saying, well, actually, and pushing up their glasses and saying, well, this comes from Aquinas. And, and these are the kinds of people on Twitter who have probably never read from, have never studied from, let's say that, the Summa, or have never studied any text in Aquinas beside the Summa. So I feel it incumbent to explain how Thomas proceeds when he lines out a, a proposition as such. Here's the full quote, and then after I give this, I'm going to go to some messages, and then I'll come back to the explanation. Here's the full quote. I answer that, as stated above in Article 6, on the sinner, we are bound out of charity to love his nature, but to hate his sin. This is Aquinas. This is Aquinas. But the name of demon is given to designate a nature deformed by sin. Wherefore, demons should not be loved out of charity. Wherefore, demons should not be loved out of charity. So you can't love demons out of charity. Without, however, laying stress on the word, the question as to whether the spirits called demons ought to be loved out of charity must be answered in accordance with the statement made above. Articles 2 and 3 that a thing may be loved out of charity in two ways. First, a thing may be loved, and this is the quote I just read, as the person who is the object of friendship. And you, you can't do this because you can't have the friendship of charity toward demons. An essential part of friendship is that you're a well-wisher toward one's friend. And guess what? It's impossible for us out of charity to desire the good of everlasting life to which charity is referred, for those spirits whom God has condemned eternally. Remember that expression, condemned eternally. Pope Francis told us that no one can be condemned eternally. Not damned, but condemned, which mean the same thing. So you can't have the friendship of charity, even abstractly, with uh, a dead mortal sinner or with a, de a demon, because you would be hoping against God's will. It's an essential part of friendship that one be a well-wisher toward one's friend. Impossible for us out of charity to desire the good of everlasting life to which charity is referred. And these people do not have everlasting life. They are condemned. That means sent to hell. Condemned means sent to hell. 
Secondly, however, he says, and this is where people were hoping to make hay, we love a thing as being that which we desire to be enduring as another's good. Oh, so in the secondary sense, we love a thing that is whatever we desire to be the good for the other person. Not, we're, we're not talking about loving the other person themselves. On this way, we love irrational creatures out of charity in as much as we wish them to endure, to give glory to God and to be useful to man, as stated above. Now, that's not demons. They're not irrational. And in this way, too, we can love the nature of the demons, even out of charity, but not out of a charity of friendship, the way you are when you're exuding mercy or anything like that. We can't give a mercy to the damned. God doesn't give mercy to the damned. Inasmuch as we desire those spirits to endure as to their natural gifts unto God's glory. So what we may love is, um, in this way, we love irrational creatures out of charity. Inasmuch as we wish them to endure to give glory to God and be useful to man. Okay, so this is saying we desire the spirits to endure unto God's glory. This is... This is a completely different sense of charity than the one in which the Synod Fathers quoted Thomas Aquinas. So, the only sense that's applicable is the first sense, the charity of friendship. This is not the charity of friendship. This is, we love a thing to be that which we desire to be enduring is another's good. So, you're loving that which is their good, really. That's all he's saying. It's taking an andron. Um, when you think you're loving, you know, heaven for a demon, which is all, all it means, because that's everyone's, ab initio, heaven is someone's final end, human or demon or, or angel. When you love heaven, you are really loving it as the object. And you're saying, well, if this were an open question and this were not a condemned soul, eternally condemned soul, who's already had mercy denied to them by God, then I would, as I do for every other person who's uh, you know, on the way, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, be with us on the way. I would be hoping to connect point A to point B, this human person or this angelic person to this end. And of course, the demons made their decision in the first act of time whether they'd be angels or demons. We love a thing as being that which we desire to be another as another's good. On this way, we love irrational creatures out of charity or demons out of charity. Sure, this isn't what the Synod Fathers are talking about, though. I'll reread that quote when I come back. I want to remind everyone, we're doing a Lord of the Rings reading for locals, for subscribe star supporters. Become one today. It's linked to this video. It is a way of giving $10, $15, $20 a month. You are paying for your entertainment for a, a slow read, a deep dive with discussion once a week over the next six or so months. And this is the perfect time to read Fellowship of the Ring. It's my favorite fall book. We're only two chapters in. By Wednesday, we meet Wednesday nights at 6. 6 or 6.30? 6.30, right? 6.30. CST, 6.30. We'll only, we're only reading the third chapter for this Wednesday. So you have five 
days to read three relatively short chapters. Join today and, and become a, a Locals or Subscribestar supporter of this channel. If you want to donate to me, that's a totally separate thing. Go to timothyjgordon.com and click donate. If you want to help yourself and your family get out of your blue state and get to a red state today, go to www.realestateforlife.org. Get to the blood red swath of states from Texas to Florida where you can be in a res publica, a Christian place. You'll be around a lot of Protestants, but they're good, good people down here. A red state, a conservative state. I came to Mississippi the next year. They ended Roe jurisprudence forever. We ended Roe versus Wade here in Mississippi. It's the, the reddest of the red states, and it's a big, beautiful southerly forest. You can't beat Mississippi. But there's a lot of states. All of our neighbors are beautiful. Realestateforlife.org is a Catholic pro-life company, by and large, who will help you find a place here. Finally, if you haven't yet watched my debate on Trent Horn's channel with the Protestant man, Stephen Christie, it went really well. It was dynamite. Go watch that sometime this weekend. I'll probably do a debate breakdown maybe Sunday, early afternoon. Um, I don't want to skip over any synod coverage, so I'll do it then. Here's what the synod wrote about demons. So will you read the two last paragraphs, please? Because people are mentioning certain things in there that they wanted to hear. The two last. There's only two paragraphs to this. Um, um, this is the, the corpus of an answer in the, the Summa question. Oh, oh the two last paragraphs of the, the synod, synod document. document. Gotcha. And also, did you want to talk about St. Isaac of Devea? He's an Orthodox saint, so I don't know if there's, that needed more context or not. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know much about him, but, but people are attributing this quote to Aquinas because of the second sense, the second inapplicable sense in which Thomas does say you can love demons with the love of charity, but it's a... It's in an inapplicable way to the way that it was used. Okay, so here is, I, I could read all three paragraphs. I think it's useful to just read uh, the two. We also learn that which is God's way of loving and acting for the salvation of the world through the new music of the cross. It sounds super gay, but we're, so we're talking about God's salvation of the world. So this is the charity of friendship to go to heaven. You have to die in, within the charity of friendship of God. Friendship, friends of God go to heaven. That's a, sort of a term of art. So we're talking about soteriology. We're talking about going to heaven. I'll reread that first sentence of the first paragraph. We also learn that which is God's way of loving and acting for the salvation of the world through the new music of the cross. So uh, goofballs like Michael Lofton are going to say, oh, well, this sets the context. It doesn't always set the context. The paragraph above doesn't always set the context. In this case, it does because it continues to be with text as we go through the paragraphs. In the end, discernment is an act of love for God and for neighbor. It is the knowledge that comes through love. In discerning in and through love, see how it continues to be the context? 
we can begin to comprehend reality in all its relationships and its ultimate destiny to participate in God's triune life. There's that, that participation in God's triune life is a reference to soteriology, being saved. Discernment, then, is also an opening of the heart in love and mercy to all things. As St. Isaac of Nineveh, the Syrian, expresses it, this is a, a saint. I think he's, he's a saint in both the Western and the Eastern traditions. I don't think just in the Orthodox. Here's what he says, and folks were saying, well, Thomas Aquinas says this, and he, he matters a lot more than what Sir I, uh, St. Isaac says. What is a merciful heart? It is a heart on fire for the whole of creation, for humanity, for the birds, for the animals, for demons, and for all that exists. You can't, you can't say that. You can't say a heart on fire with the love of charity, love of charitable friendship for demons. That doesn't work. By the recollection of them, the eyes of a merciful person, so we're talking about soteriology, pour forth tears in abundance. You can't pour forth tears in abundance for a damned person. They won't be merciful. That's folly. All the saints agree. Crying tears, St. Thomas says specifically in other places, crying tears for the damned is not something that the blessed do in heaven, nor is it allowed. This is to will against God's will. Aren't we told that the souls in heaven actually hate the souls in hell? The St. Thomas says specifically the souls in heaven hate the souls in hell because to continue to love the souls in hell after God has damned them and God no longer loves them, he gives them up, would be to... uh, rebel against God's will, which would be a subversive act in heaven, which can't happen. But So don't pour forth tears in abundance for demons who made their choice with the first moment in time to be an angel or a demon, or damned souls whose fate was sealed when they drew their last breath in a state of zero sanctifying grace. By the strong and vehement mercy that grips such a person's heart, mercy again, again in the soteriological sense, And by such great compassion, the heart is humbled, and one cannot bear to hear or see any injury or slight sorrow in any in creation. Not true. So I guess this is St. Isaac specifically, and this is just theological error, according to the rest of the church. Because of what the 2,000-year-old tradition has taught about the way that the blessed feel about the damned. For this reason, such a person offers up tearful prayer continually even for irrational beasts. So um, this is uh, another analogy between the damned and the irrational that that, um, is traced through Thomas. For the enemies of the truth and for those who harm her or him, that they can be protected and receive mercy. And in like manner, such a person prays for the family of reptiles because of the great compassion that burns without measure in a heart that is in the likeness of God. So it's unsurprising that, uh, what, what century did St. Isaac, so the Syrian, write? So he was born um, circa 613, it says on Wikipedia. And it says he's venerated in the Church of the East, the Assyrian Church of the East, the Chaldean Catholic Church, Syro-Malabar Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox, and Oriental Orthodox. Okay, so because there are some Catholic traditions which venerate him, we say it's both Catholic and Orthodox. Okay, now, 
so Thomas is tracing Saint uh, this 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 Saint Isaac because he comes before Thomas always wants to do justice to the writings of the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh century saints in the era of the fathers. This is one of the much, 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 much lesser fathers, generally speaking, after the time period of the fathers. He's not one of the main eight guys. There are four original doctors of the West, four of the East. There's a next kind of rank of four or five next great guys, four or five next great guys in the East as well. He's none of them. But Thomas always wants to treat with uh, reverence the beneficent teachings of any of these 5th, 6th, 7th century, 8th century guys. And this is where you will see in the Summa, Thomas, especially with Augustine, begin to say, well, this is true in two ways. You know? Bigamy violates the natural law in one sense, A, but does not in sense B. He gets into this dividing senses. It, it, it corresponds with the scholastic ethos of always be charitable, never fully disagree, never fully agree, always distinguish and stipulate to your point. You saw me do a fair amount of that in the debate with Steve Christie, and it kind of fell on deaf ears, I'm sad to say. And, and he, he spun lies about the ecumenical councils. And he just, he was not capable of understanding even first principles like the principle of proportionate cause. We'll get to that when I do my review mashup. But review send up is more like it. But um, so Thomas does do this where he'll divide a proposition into two senses. And then he'll go, well, in this sense, it's true. In this sense, it's false. This is how <laughs> Mr. Aquinas, that's not how we've ever referred to. Uh, the angelic doctor, the universal doctor, the common doctor. He, he, he takes it a different way. He says, okay, two senses that, that um, St. Isaac could be speaking in. And Thomas is going to say, he must have been speaking in this second pretty useless sense. It's so useless that it can't apply to mercy or friendship of charity or soteriology. It can't apply in any, across any of these categories because that would be to contradict will, God's will. You cannot, if you're one of the good guys, contradict God's will. If God says, this person is damned, you don't get to say no. That's all the first sense of, um, can we love a demon? Can we love the demon and say, I hope that God changes his mind about this forever damned demon or this forever damned human person? Nay. This is the main sense you would ever use it. First, a thing may be loved as the person who is the object of friendship. So when we're actually applying the object of friendship as the person himself, which is what we're always saying, then you can't do it. Thus, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot have the friendship of charity towards the demons. No. For it is an essential part, that means a sine qua non, a constitutive formal part of friendship. I'm adding the constitutive formal part. That's what essential means. That one should be a well-wisher toward one's friend. And it is impossible for us 
impossible for us, impossible for us, out of charity, to desire the good of everlasting life to which charity is referred. For those spirits whom God has condemned eternally, since this would be in opposition to our charity toward God, whereby we approve of his justice. You see? So if you approve of God's justice, and Thomas writes about this in many other places, then we have charity of friendship with God, the most important person to have charity of friendship with. And we cannot contradict his decisions in justice. We must approve of his justice. And so we cannot will, even in a hoping or, you know, hoping against hope way, to uh, evince a different verdict from God. His verdicts are final. He has condemned this soul, whether it's an intelligence that's non-incorporeal or an intelligence that's corporeal, like a human, if they're damned, if they're, I'm just going to start saying condemned. It means damned. Then it's forever. And you're praying against God. Now, there's another really most meaningless sense in which um, my friend Tyler says, well, but doesn't Aquinas say the same? We can go to the secondly paragraph. This is Aquinas trying to rescue St. Isaac, trying to pull his uh, Isaac's chestnuts out of the fire, if you will. And he says, secondly, we may love a thing as being that which we desire to be enduring is another's good. So it really means you're loving the thing. You're not necessarily loving the demon or the damned human being. You're loving the good that you want for them. That's all you're loving. I repeat, we love a thing as being that which we desire to be enduring as another's good. That's all you love. On this way, we love irrational creatures out of charity. Sure. And he's making the basic analogy between irrational creatures and damned souls. Inasmuch as we wish them to endure, to give glory to God, and to be useful to man, as stated above, and in this way too, we can love the nature of the demons, even out of charity. Remember, the nature of the demons, this, this proves the point. What is the nature of a demon? The, another word is the quiddity of the demon or the ratio of the demon. The, the nature of the demon is actually angelic, right? A nature cannot be changed. So the demon's nature was, you know, angelic. A demon is an angel. So when we love the demon's nature, we're, we're just loving that which fell. When we love a damned soul's, human being's soul's, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we love uh, his good nature the nature as created by God. That's not the same thing as loving the historical person, incorporeal or corporeal. Do you understand? It's that simple. Loving something's nature and loving that person's substance, body and soul, with all of its incurred sins or its incurred damnation, different proposition altogether. I hope this is clear. Um, that's pretty much it. Inasmuch as we desire those spirits to endure as to their natural gifts unto God's glory. Irrespective of time. Uh, Thomas would say, we, in one sense, we prescind from time. In another sense, we don't prescind from time. It's that simple. There's some confusion in chat. People are wondering, how can hate exist in heaven? How can souls in heaven actually hate something bad like hate exist in heaven? So when we're talking about 
the opposite of, we're talking about hatred of an evil. Think of it as two negatives making a positive. Will in heaven, will we be rational still? Yes. Yes. We'll be super rational. We'll have super bodies. We'll have heavenly bodies after the general judgment. And so it's not as if we will, um, not, remember, not all, hate, not all hatred is an evil. Hating evil things is a good. It's like two, two negatives multiplied is a positive. It's not, not a complex issue. And now there will be no sin in heaven, but, but hatred itself is not a sin. Hatred of sin is good. Simple. So you understand the difference? Thomas, why does he do it? Why does he undertake to bifurcate or not to bifurcate, to parse this pretty simple question in a, a way that risks all of you, many of us, misunderstanding it, which many people did when they saw this online and they're trying to re respond to Father Nix in a Pope's planning way. Father Nix was right. The Pope's planners were wrong. Shocker. Thomas usually only gets himself into Vietnams like that, where he's like, oh, there's two senses. It's usually when Augustine was, it's not just Augustine, but one of the patristics or someone from an earlier century in the first Christian millennium was, was wrong. And I, I'm not, I, Augustine's kind of doctor number two in the church. I'm not looking to, to, to take pot shots, but he was wrong a lot more frequently than, than Thomas was. I mean, it's, Thomas is head and shoulders above everyone in terms of very, very seldom does Thomas run into contradiction or error. Augustine, it's really not that infrequent. So Thomas will always defer to Augustine, who is the main doctor of the church in his day. Now Thomas passed him. And so now we have a, a number one, we have a common doctor, as he's called. We have a universal doctor. It's, it's agreed on after Leo Thirteenth. He's, he's the doctor of doctors who really exceedingly rarely makes an error. Almost, not infallible, but almost like that. But the best doctor of the church in Thomas's day was Augustine, and he, he was not the same way, but Thomas did have the same inclination about Augustine that we have about Thomas. You really don't want to find yourself crossways with Thomas, he didn't want to find himself crossways with Augustine. So he'll always try to say, unless it's just undeniable, he'll use a little bit of weaponized ambiguity to say, well, there's one, there are two senses in which you could say quidjibo, if Augustine said quidjibo. You could say this, the common use, or you could say this, the very uncommon use that's still not precluded by reason. And I'll say, maybe Augustine meant it in this way, even though almost certainly he didn't. That's what Thomas engages in lots because he never wants to find himself at cross purposes with Augustine, even when he does. He's doing the same with, uh, what's, what's the saint's name? Saint uh, Isaac, the Syrian. Isaac the Syrian. He does, the, he, he extends the same beneficent courtesy to this lesser patristic who's arguably out, outside of the patristic time period anyway. And so he says, I answer that. There, there's two senses. The name of demon is given to designate a nature deformed by sin. So the nature is in some sense deformed by sin, but in another sense, remember, I can't give a whole metaphysics class. Even though the nature was deformed by sin from an angel to a demon, when the angel became a de demon, did that demon go through a substantial change where it becomes something else just because we've given him a, a, a change in nomenclature? No. 
or else if it was a totally different substance from angel to demon, then that demon could not justly be punished for the sin, um, the sin of the, the angel who made the wrong decision at the beginning of time. A thing cannot remain the same thing and go through what's called a substantial change. It can only go through what are, what are called accidental changes. You can't really unmake a substance ever. So it's like saying, could I become Steph and could Steph become me? No. And it, a demon has an angelic nature that is deformed by sin, like deep, 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 deepest concupiscence, final concupiscence, eternal concupiscence, and eternal damnation. But it's still the same, you know, Lucifer is still Lucifer. And he still has, in this sense, I'm talking about the same nature when we're getting into real metaphysics. Demons, he says, wherefore, demons should not be loved out of charity. Now, this is the real use, and Thomas knows it, but he wants to pull St. Isaac's chestnuts out of the fire. Um, Without, however, laying stress on the word, the question as to whether the spirits called demons ought to be loved out of charity must be answered in accordance with the statement made above that a thing may be loved out of charity in two ways. The way where you love the Lucifer himself. Can you love Lucifer? No. No. Love him himself? No. Can you love that which was Lucifer's final cause? Lucifer was created to be one of the highest of the angels and and for eternal union with God. Well, yeah, you always love that. But in the first sense, Thomas says, you're actually hoping and praying for thing X to, if it's undetermined in time, if it's unconjugated as yet, to eventually reach his final goal. Whereas when we're dealing with a fait accompli, like a damned human being or a condemned angel, same thing, a demon, He's already been conjugated. He's in his final form, and you can't hope against God's justice. You see? That's, that's literally what Thomas says. It is impossible for us, out of charity, to desire the good of everlasting life to which charity is referred. For those spirits whom God has condemned eternally, since this would be in opposition to our charity toward God, whereby we approve of his justice. That is the sense that the Synod Fathers, and just use your context clues, think of what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, out of love for these mortal sinners, we're going to make the mortal sin okay. And there's some news on that score. From the 13th day of the Synod, today the closing of uh, the work week for us anyway, Friday of the week three of the Synod. Now that we're in the fourth module. This is a negative answer from Thomas, and he's trying to extend some love to, um, to this saint who's being quoted, St. Isaac the Syrian. You, you can't love with the love of charitable friendship a demon. But it makes sense that they would make this quotation because these guys, I think, love in the sense of ch- the friendship of charity, actual demons. Which sucks. Well, if it you sucks. could love a demon, I mean, the argument can go, if you could love a demon, then you could love any sort of abomination here on earth. Any sort of, of sin or sinner. Of course. Of course. You could, 
You, if you can be in heaven and contradict God's word and subvert and pray against God's will being done, the prayer taught to us directly by Jesus, thy will be done. That is what it is to pray, is to pray for God's will to be done. If you're praying, and I'm afraid Bishop Robert Barron has represented the counterpoint here. If you're praying, if you can reasonably hope and pray against God's will, against God's um, voluntary justice, his justice of his will to damn angels and demons, to, I'm just going to start saying condemn them forever, then you are evil. You are evil. So, okay, so now I, I will, I, I have to take time to point something out. I was responding to Eminem, the Catholic Eminem, um, who lies in this clip. I, I'm just going to play it because um, in Amoris Laetitia, which is the post-synodal apostolic exhortation from 2016, the exact same expression that Thomas just used, God's eternal condemnation, God eternally condemns the wicked, um, is expressly subverted, right? So Catholic M&M here, um, let's, let's go to it. He says the exact opposite. He says, listen to him explain. It's a phrase that is distorted by some even unto this day all over YouTube. There's a quote where it says no one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. And they'll say, heresy. Pope Francis is teaching heresy. It is. That's a denial of hell. And that's a denial of the eternity of hell. And yeah, you heard it a million times. Except the previous paragraph told you the context was, quote, the way of the church is not to condemn anyone forever. It's talking about the church, not God sending someone to hell for eternity. It's talking about the church. You're not to make a person do penance the rest of their life. And when they're on their deathbed, you, you don't give them communion. You just say, sorry, good luck. No, that's not the right way to do it. No one can be condemned forever. That phrase there again has to be understood in the context of the church. It says absolutely nothing to do with whether or not a person can be condemned by God forever. So anybody that you see distorting this message and accusing Pope Francis of heresy, dismiss that person as an unreliable source. Dismiss them. Okay. It, it contains a phrase that is distorted. This by is God. quite, quite, quite the irony that this clown, this, this like eminent, Catholic M&M is saying, don't listen to these people. Okay, let's, let's respond thoroughly. First, I just, I, I want to read the actual, okay. Well, do you have, can you put on the screen, can you find this tweet where I responded to him? I'll look for it. I'm just laughing because Christian Mario did such a good job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sending up, sending up uh, 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 Catholic M&M. Just we silly. Okay, let me find it. Um. <laughs> now, because I want, um, first off, the word condemn means to damn. It is the... It is the first transliteration into the English language of the word damn. Condam just means to damn. In If you study the word's etymology through time, I did this a lot after Amoris Laetitia. The con just falls away. So I want to show... Okay, will you enlarge on that? Thank you. I will just on the screen. Do this real fast we're, we're going to show you an etymology of this word. To condemn, because I, I, I'm sorry, this guy's a clown, and he's out there just lying to Catholics about. Okay, so the word is condemnare in Latin. Sorry, let me... It is it up? Okay, thank oh, you. Sorry, text stuff. All right. Condemnare in Latin, which means to be damned to hell, um, to, to to inflict the loss of hell on someone. Um, 
in uh, for somewhere between whatever classical and uh, ecclesial, ecclesiastical Latin, it becomes condemnare. The, the E substituted for the A is a dialectical thing. Um, words change spelling over time. In Old French, it's condemnare. In English, the term is translated damn. Okay, sorry, I was, I was incorrect before. So damn comes first. And then in Middle English, uh, they add a fancy cone, uh, which uh, you see this with lots of words. The word was dem or dam, D-E-M-N or D-A-M-N. Now remember, there was no um, standardized English spelling uh, until 19th century America. So words had all, the A versus the E is absolutely meaningless. And um, there is a whole host of English cognates from Latin that we have uh, um, con, con celebration. It, 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 you'd say, I'm going, if one priest is talking about his friend, I'm going to con celebrate this mass with uh, my friend Father Jack. Well, you, even con means with, but in English, it's what we call a worthless uh cognatial prefix or something like that. It's a worthless cognatial prefix because that cone, we still have to say in English, I'm going to celebrate the mass with my friend. So you don't, you're saying with twice. I'm going to con with celebrate the mass with my friend, Father Jack. Same thing with con them. It means to the, the, the loss. Uh, it means a person incurs a loss with the loss of life. And um, you'll say that person was damned. You don't need to say that person was condemned. There's a whole host of English cognates from Latin that through, and I'm, I'm, I'm an uh, etymology geek. I have a big green etymology at home I study. So this is a very common thing. Condemned means damned. Word usage changes at the level of popular level because the hoi polloi idiots, you know, used, will say things like, don't you judge me. Don't condemn me. Like, okay, a person can't condemn. The church can't condemn someone. A human being cannot condemn another human being. I cannot send you to hell. I cannot condemn you. It's not possible for us to judge. It's not possible for us to judge in the Hebraic sense, which means to condemn. Judge, jury, and executioner. Force them down to hell. St. Michael's the only person besides God that's ever taken an efficient role in throwing someone down to hell, which is to condemn them. Okay throwing them down to hell. So, Catholic M&M says that um, that no one can be condemned. It contains a phrase that is distorted by some. Even. It contains a phrase that can be distorted by some. Yo. Uh, which is no one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. The most important aspect, forget my etymology, which is definitive. Let's go to a second argument that is, is totally independent of that. This is the quote. No one can be condemned forever because that's not the logic of the gospel. Not no one can be condemned forever under the heading of human action or under the heading of ecclesiological action. Okay? This is pathetic to have to keep going over this. But it's like saying no one can drink poison and survive. Uh, Lofton, Catholic M&M, is trying to say well, this means that no one who has uh, 
not eating a big lunch that day can drink poison and survive. No, this is an unbounded predicate. It's unbounded. The subject. When your subject is no one, no one can be condemned forever. It's meaning there is not a human being, if we're making this symbolic logic, which I just had to do, uh, with someone else hitting his head foolishly against a, a wall. That was a Protestant, though, on Wednesday night. There is not one human being who can be condemned forever because the logic of the gospel disallows forever, con uh, forever damnation. So this has nothing to do with paragraph 296, the preceding paragraph, which said one thing about the church. And so he's saying, oh, well, the church can't condemn. So grammatically, so etymologically, I just proved to you, this is, this is material heresy by Francis contradicting the gospel. Now, grammatically, different from etymologically, this is an unbounded subject of the sentence with unbounded predication. No one can be condemned forever. This means if we were to translate this propositionally into symbolic logic to prove the truth value of the statement, we would, we would translate it. There is not one person that can be condemned forever is literally how you would uh, uh, reduce this to propositional logic. There is not one person who can be condemned forever. And it's not, there is no other clause in the sentence that diminishes that there is not one person who's ever lived assumption. Because that is not the logic of the gospel, which is also an unbounded predicate, by the way. So etymologically, the way is shut to it being anything other than material heresy. Grammatically, the way is shut to anything besides material heresy. Now, here's a third, slightly more nuanced argument against Eminem. Um, condemnare, but the key here is that it can happen to anyone, blah, blah, blah. That's the first one. Okay. Now, Let's just talk ir irrespective of the way that Amoris Laetitia actually states this material heresy. Take it out of the context of the word condemn, which means to damn etymologically. And grammatically, it's an unbounded subject. Take it out of that. Let's just see if under some other construction of the expression, it would make any sense because we're going to be the most charitable to the Pope in his materially heretical construction of this possible. So we're even going to say, is there any possible other way to express this that he chose not to, where the church might damn someone forever, which is what the term says. Even, even though we know that he didn't write it this way, could someone have written that the church condemns or damns someone forever? To ensure there's no doubt, Francis adds the term forever onto condemn. So it would be one thing if we're saying, okay, idiots use this term, you know, in, in, in rap songs, you'll hear Tupac or Biggie say things like this, you know, condemn, don't condemn me. Housewives say this, right? Uh, you know, lower classes speak this way. Condemn means damn. But Francis goes above and beyond. He always does. He's always ambiguous, but he always wants to spit in your eye as well as a faithful Catholic because he hates you. He is a father who hates you. So condemning forever, he adds the word forever just to make extra best sure that you know this is not in the colloquial sense. This is the third proof, not merely the colloquial sort of slang, you know, 
reason and theology sense of rapping out a jam, busting a rap, you know, busting some bars up in your grill. Slim Shady. This is condemning forever. No one who's ever lived can be condemned forever. No clause modifying who by, just by anyone. Full stop. Is it even possible for mortal human beings, the rigid ones that Francis truly loads, you and I, to condemn single mothers, illegal aliens, the people he likes, homo sapiens, forever by finite actions that Francis assumes rigids like you and I take? Like harshly mocking someone, outcasting someone. How could that condemn them forever? Um, uh, barring them from confession communion by the church. Well, forever means unequivocally. Sinners are not barred from the sacraments by the church. The sinners, mortal sinners, were never barred um, in the sense of uh, civil divorce and remarriage from the church forever. No, the church said, no, we want you to come back to church for 2000 years plus until Francis the heretic came along. They said very plainly, come back to the faith. You are not going to be barred from the sacraments. You just have to stop diddling your concubine. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to get together with your wife or your husband, which you can't get along with. You can apologize in confessional for not living with them. That's a one and done deal. You just have to stop diddling your concubine or the new guy you met at the dance club that danced up on you and sweat on you, right? Your, your new husband, the way the pagans reason this out. That's all you have to do. So that would not be a forever barring. I'm not going to say condemnation because that means dams. But so how could me, a single guy or a bishop or even the Pope, damn someone forever by telling them you will never be able to go to confession? That is prohibited and has always been prohibited by the church. No, but it is a conditional. The single conditional is one of the precepts of the church. To make confession, you have to forever promise to quit the sin. Even if you break that 10 minutes after you get out of the confessional, you just go back to confession. What matters is your, the state of your will at the time you made the confession. You cannot go make a confession for a sin when you have not promised to stop making the sin. In other words, you can't go to confession when you're going home. Ah, I'm, I'm going to have a great confession. I'm going to go home and have sex with my concubine, my second wife. She's made a great dinner. Then we're going to have a really romantic evening. We're going to put on Netflix and chill, right? No, that's an invalid confession. That's not damning someone forever. Those are actions which lead a efficient chain of causation, which will damn themselves forever, which is what always happens. But that's not the same thing as damning them forever. The church does not have the capacity to damn forever. And that's what I say. How does mocking a person harshly for five minutes involve condamnare forever? How can Pope Francis be urging the church not to do something categorically damn someone forever, outside of its purview or even its finite capacities. The church is composed of churchmen who live 80, 85 years. These guys can't forever be edic issuing a judgment. And it's is this a material stupid. world? 
fine. The material world is finite, right? So just in general, even if we say in 2,000 years from now, 3,000 years from now, this all ends. Right. So right. the question I have, this is probably a dumb question, but when the end of the world happens, does the church also end as well? Does the church have an expiration date? Well, the, the church becomes the church militant. Right, right. right? The church, so finite. The church also. suffering, the church uh, militant, uh, sorry, the church, tri church suffering, church militant will all, as long as they die as part of the church militant, even if they have to pass through church suffering and purgatory, they will become the church triumphant. Yes, yeah, so that's a great distinction between the for using the word forever is the clincher. That's the clincher. Of course, in yeah. in all three senses. Yeah. Grammatically, or, sorry, I said um, etymologically, it is condemn is damn the word damn in English. Mm -hmm. uh, grammatically, right? This is an unbounded. Uh, subject class, it's an unbounded verb class. No one can be condemned forever. And then um, just uh, propositionally, why would Pope Francis bar the church from doing something that's impossible to do? If we go on a date and um, the kids are, you know, watching, the big kids are watching the little kids, we'll say, hey, do not let them wander out onto the deck. Don't let them go into the pool yard. They have the capacity to do that. We don't say, hey, make sure the children don't try to flap their arms and fly and thereby fly around the neighborhood, right? They don't have the capacity to do that. Obviously, this is in thematic keeping the idea that the church shouldn't be telling people, shouldn't be telling its constituent members not to quit not to quit their mortal sin or to quit their mortal sin, which is what Francis is saying. Stop telling the people to quit their mortal sin. We're going to let them back into communion without having to quit their mortal sin. That's what the sin it is. That's what ended up happening when this guy goofball, Michael Lofton was saying, oh, well, the, the, you know, this isn't going to happen. Communion will never be given to the divorced and remarried pursuant to uh, a more statistic. It was, he was wrong. And yet a fool keeps talking after being wrong. Now, I would just point out, look at Thomas Aquinas's expression here. Look at what Thomas says. It's beautiful. I wasn't, this is a whole sidebar. It was a whole sidebar. He says, for those spirits whom God has condemned eternally. So he uses the exact same expression. God has condemned eternally. Did he say the, the church condemns eternally? No, because the church can't. There's only one person who can condemn eternally. That's the official translation of uh, Thomas. So those are three arguments. They're independent of each other. One, two, three. And Thomas Aquinas, there's a fourth argument. Thomas Aquinas uses the term condemn eternally. He uses the belt and suspenders approach by including the word eternally. To mean damn, which condemn means by itself. And he also repeats that God is the one that condemns eternally. And he repeats the justification for the church kind of rooting for justice. He says, since this would be in opposition to our charity toward God, whereby we approve of his justice, which is against Francis and the Sankt Gallen Mafia's whole program. So, the fifth argument is just like, look at the internal coherency between 
Francis's little throwaway line there, no, the logic of the gospel is no one can be condemned forever. And the idea that, hey, let these people keep having sex with their concubines. All of these divorcees out here, all these horny divorcees, they, they, they know they're not condemned eternally the second they get a divorce. You can always go back to your spouse and say sorry and go back to confession. That's not eternal. It's not eternal if a decision can be made to alter the outcome. So that, that couldn't be what they're talking about. What Francis' whole program is, let the homo sapien keep doing what is a mortal sin. They're not going to get condemned forever. Let the, the horny divorcees keep having sex with their concubines. They're not going to be condemned forever. Let uh, female deacons continue to blaspheme or, or begin to blaspheme the Eucharist and holy orders, which is a mortal sin, right? Uh, because they won't be condemned forever for LARPing as priests, even though that's a mortal sin. Sacrilege. That's the name of the game. And that's, that was in the same chapter, since we care about context, as the ultimate permission that was given by he, by him, Francis, to allow mortal sinners to commit sacrilege and receive the communion. All right, some other brief updates from this week. I'm, I'm just sick of, I'm sick of the lies. You should be blackpilled on lies and people who lie to you. Cardinal Burke says this to Catholic calm on obedience. And again, unless you're calling Cardinal Burke a liar, then listen to what he says. If your bishop or the supreme pastor of the church, meaning the pope, is affirming things not in accord with sacred tradition or the deposit of faith, that can't command your obedience. You can't command obedience to do something against faith and morals. So why is Cardinal Burke, I would ask Catholic M&M, why is Cardinal Burke saying if the supreme pastor of the church, the Pope, Pope Francis, he's trying to avoid direct references to the man Francis, but if Francis is affirming things not in accord with sacred tradition, the positive of the faith, and there are about 10 things at issue, minor things, some of them are, three or four of them are major, at this very synod, which contradict sacred tradition of the deposit of the faith, If they, th then he can't command your obedience. Well, we need you as head canon lawyer to, to explain how this works because this is brand spanking new. He also says you can't command obedience to do something against faith or morals. So this too, if we care about context clues, which Michael Lofton always claims to, why would Cardinal Burke fit this otherwise strange remark into the whole configuration of facts and events. Why would he say, hey, if the supreme pastor of the church commands you to do something that vitiates the church, then um, you don't have to be compelled to do it. Well, he wrote that specifically, that, that same logic into his dubia, which concerned the 2014-2015 sentence. He wrote it in September of 2016. He was never answered. But we know that he believes, because he's written two sets of dubia to Pope Francis now, that Pope Francis is guilty of this. And he's doing it through the synods. Ed Penton um, tweets, at today's press briefing, 
Bishop Daniel Flores of Brownsville, Texas, this was actually from yesterday, dismissed accusations that the Senate has, pre, has a predetermined outcome with a liberal agenda. Well, I mean, obviously, these guys lie. They lie for a living. These, like Daniel Flores. The discussions are being conducted sub tutela petri, under the care of Peter, he said. And that is not a threat to faith. We live in a very suspicious age. Now, now these people aren't suspicious. Catholics, if anything, are credulous. They're the opposite of suspicious. If they believe a word you just said, don't tell us that you're operating under the care of Peter. Show us. Show us, compadre. Show us. Father Bishop Daniel Flores of Brownsville, Texas. Show us, man. Don't tell us. Show us. The discussions are being conducted under the care of Peter. Sweet. Then we're going to be judgmental. It's going to be hot fire. Hot damn, baby. Hot condemnation. Right? God's wrath. Hand to God. Judgment of God. Because that, that's what we know has been taught. Hot it's grits of burning. Hot grits of flying. Bishop Daniel Flores. Delicious, hot, freshly hot baked flan in hominy. hominy. Bone thugs in hominy. Yeah, I won't be suspicious. I, look, if if we get to see, what well, makes us a little suspicious that you're cloaking the entire thing, even the uh, participatory lists who pertain to what table in the discussion groups. Yeah, that's a that's a suspicious thing to do, isn't it? It's strange, but yeah, don't tell us you're doing this under the care of Peter. Oh, but you know what's funny? Here's what makes us suspicious. Let me, see, let me read what Pope Francis said. He said, and this does make me suspicious, that, oh, here's what Timothy Radcliffe, OP, said. This synod won't uh, change anything. Some are saying with hope, some with fear. That is a lack of hope in the Lord. He's guaranteeing that you're going to change things and that you're not operating under the care of Peter. Huh. So talk about gaslighting. Big with the boomers. Love doing something bad. You say, hey, I'm worried you're I'm worried you're shoving a knife into my ribs. It, it kind of feels like you're doing it slowly. And they're like, oh, well, now you should feel bad that you thought I'm knifing you. And then you look and they are. That's just what they're doing. And they're lying about it. <laughs> They've got the knife in their hand, twisting it slowly. I'm what? seeing you do it right now. I'm I'm literally watching you do that thing. Um so, yeah, Bishop Daniel Flores. Um, Ed Penton tweets out from Father Dario Vitali. Dario. When we reach the consensus that the church is constitutively synodal, we will have to rethink the whole church, all the institutions, the whole life of the church in a synodal sense. Do you see that? I'm and it, it on the screen right now. He said it as a, an eventuality. He did not say, if we reach the consensus, that the church is constitutively synodal. This means democratic. This means it's not a pyramid. This means we get to vote on what's wrong and right. Then we will have to rethink the whole church, all the institutions, the whole life of the church in a synodal sense. Who told you that this was the big... Who's been telling you for three years? This is the big revolution, the sex revolution in the church that... A lot of people, a lot of lefties were hoping Vatican II would be. Who told you that? 
I told you, I've been telling you this for three years. I said, look, I'll go on. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to start pulling quotes from myself. This is the big one. I'm saying it to tens of thousands of people. If I'm wrong, for one thing, that'll be great if I'm wrong. Allow myself to quote myself. Allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> um, as I work on myself, I look on myself. myself I talk about, think about myself. <laughs> it's a Jim Gaffigan routine. Um, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm, de- I'm not. When we reach the consensus that the church is constitutively synodal, totally different thing than what you thought it was, Catholics, then we will have to rethink the whole church, all the institutions, the whole life of the church in a synodal sense, meaning the moral theology. None of these sex rules will apply. Because guess what? The pervs are in charge. The, the fox is in the hen house. Diane tweeted a few hours ago, Paolo Ruffini confirmed to her after today's Synod press briefing that the members participating in the October 2023 assembly underway at the Vatican, that all those perverts, the freaks at table six, the mutants at table nine. I was going to say the mutants. Will be returning to the for the October 2024 assembly. It is one synod assembly. What a rogues Ruffini gallery says. that will be. It'll be a rogues gallery of Tiva wearing flat topped uh, female truck drivers types, and men who didn't Bust play up. a lot of sports, sip a lot of tea, and and lo- but but philosophers who say blah blah blah. Here's the teaching of the church, but. Or men who love Cynthia Bailey Manns. Like, if you're like, hey, man, this, this lady, Cynthia, Cynthia Bailey Manns at the Senate, I love Manns. They'll say, I like Manns, too. You like Manns? I love Manns. I love doing that, too, if you say you like smashing pumpkins. So that's your update. Father Nix was right. There's some Pope Splanners tried to judo throw the logic people nitwits and midwits love trying this on twitter with people that are their social or intellectual betters like father nix they love trying to oh father nix actually it's like look man your your education is t- what you read on twitter no father nix was right this is not acceptable to be stating that we we love with the fire of the charity of friendship demons absolutely wrong father nix is right all y'all who are hating on him it's a bunch of gibberish i'm gonna speak lofton forgot about dre forgot about nix and uh no keys and no wheels we were talking about this uh yesterday we were saying like why has the pope's planning been so popular lately and i was the only thing i can think of is that i think people get legitimately weary having just a bad father and instead of taking that weariness and putting your faith in that the the church will not be destroyed and just just weather the storm they start just give up just give up and start just backtracking completely like in the matrix where he's eating the steak that he knows isn't real but he's like but it tastes so good cypher cypher he he eats that steak he says i know this juicy delicious steak is not real this is cypher the bald guy with the fu manchu I know it's not real, but it, and I know it's juiciness is a construct of the matrix as it interacts with my mind, but ignorance is bliss. That's all of these Pope's planning fools. Really what it is, them. what it is in the case of Cypher, 
and the Pope's planners is what Thomas Aquinas calls and defines as effeminacy, the unwilling, the unwillingness to suffer for things higher. That's all it is. The unwillingness to go, hey, we've got a, got a super bad father right now, Pope, Papa Francesco. Now you've got the worst father imaginable. Um, and, and I mean, like I said, I quoted this, I think, in yesterday's show. Interesting discussion between um, Brian Holdsworth and Matt Fratt. I just get sent clips of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. I, I'm a busy guy. I love a 30-second clip. Matt, I think, asks in good faith. I don't think it's – he's leaning towards splaining, but not – I don't think that was his intent to Pope Splain. I think he asks in good faith. Brian, what do we do? Basically, Benedict option, even from the Pope. Normally, Benedict option means you take the church and you just block out the secular world. In Rod Dreher's sense, well, a lot's happened in the last 12 years since he wrote that book. Now the Benedict option, Frad's essentially asking, do we Benedict option sort of use the Husserlian epoche to bracket out even the Pope from our Benedict option? Just sort of love our families, go to... Hopefully a Latin mass if Francis didn't take yours away from you in conjunction with your wicked bishop. Um, and Holdsworth says, no, how do, how do we do that? What, what You're asking us to, to not be able to admit to ourselves that our father hates us. And, he, and Frad, Frad, in good faith, says, well, yeah. Isn't that the best thing we can do? He's being honest. I, I wasn't irritated at either man. I thought it was a good 45-second discussion as I saw it. Um, but the post planers are chomping at the bit, you know, now we're cooking like James Harden. And it's like, no, Holdsworth came back at him and he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think he said this. I think this is what I thought. But he was like, the Pope hates me. He hates a white North American, because Holdsworth's a Canadian. He's very North oh, American. he really hates him then. Yeah, yeah, he you're... as white as white gets. He is, he is... <laughs> Right. Canadian, I mean, we love Canadians, but we also know they're like genetically incapable of anger. Canadians are so like nice. They're whiter than us. It's the great white north. They're not angry, though, like us angry, loudmouthed Americans. Brian Holdsworth is much more likable than uh, like a Tim Gordon. He's a nice guy, right? He's just this nice Canadian guy, very North American. Pope Francis has this typical... Marxist South American hatred of North Americans. All of his early um, contacts and friends have said that. He hates North Americans. Have you noticed? He ha he's a hateful, spiteful old man. He hates North Americans. He hates capitalists. He, he, he hates whites in general, but he especially hates North Americans. And he um, is really, really enraged at, at traditionalists. And, and he thinks we're angry. Brian Holdsworth is all of these but angry. He's Canadian, which is a genetical preclusion from anger. Um, so Brian says, look, he hates me. Do, do we take the idea of spiritual fatherhood seriously? I thought that's a big difference between Catholics and Protestants. I thought this is my papa, because that, that's what he's called, papa, in Italian and Latin. He's my papa. Do I, that's, so now we have to Benedict option bracket out the fact that papa hates us i thought benedict option was man let's just go pray to holy mother church and we'll forget that our mayor and our governor and our congress people and our senators and our state assemblymen and our president and the, the federal judges all hate me 
and they're creating a culture which hates me, but I'm going to go to church. I'm going to watch this Eucharistic procession. I'm going to celebrate the Feast of St. Michael. I'm going to venerate you know, the saints and the Virgin Mary, and I'm going to be encouraged to do so by the Pope. No, now we have to say, okay, the Pope is with the world. The Pope is with Wef, hating Catholics, hating me, particularly a different kind of white North American man than Brian Holdsworth, but the same kind. We're both trads. I like Brian. Papa's playing favorites and we're not it. <laughs> yeah, we are not it. Like George Carlin said, there's a club and you and I are not in it. And he had like four times more F words than that just had. But <laughs> Papa, Papa is playing favorites. He does not like us. So if we take seriously the idea of spiritual fatherhood, then no, it is not advisable to just bracket out of your mind that your father hates you. And pretty much all of you parish orphans and retrogrades, some of you are females, but you're pretty much mostly North Americans. I've looked at the demographics of my viewership. If not, you're probably white Europeans, uh, more males than female, but a lot of female too. And he hates you. And in most, pretty much everyone in the audience loves the TLM. Loves the rosary. Oh, Pope Francis hates you if you love the TLM and the rosary. If you want to cleave to the past, the, the, the benighted past, the medieval past, if you love scholastic philosophy, even you haven't read that much of it, but you just love the idea of it, he hates you. And he hates you with the hot flame of a passion. So it's strange to be hated by your father that's why I call you parish orphans, right? But that's just our reality. And it's especially effeminate for, for, for people to say, because I asked him, well, why, why would you listen to Eminem here, right? I mean, he's, he's Eminem. He's not. And he said, look, I, I know the facts. Someone essentially said, I'm paraphrasing, I know the facts are against it. I just, I got tired, right? It's like people that sell out. They, I know I'm doing the wrong thing. I know I'm saying a falsehood. I know I'm speaking lies into existence just by me saying them and other people, they'll catch. But I just got tired. I'm just, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't hang. It, that's a feminacy, the way Aquinas defines it. And I think people, Pope Splainers and the, the content makers particularly think people like you or Taylor Marshall like get so excited every time there's bad news from the Pope. I can tell you just sharing a house with Tim, every time there's bad news with the Pope, he's just like, oh my gosh, do I like it's, it's not fun to always have to report on this. It, it doesn't feel good, but you have to. You have to have a very clear conception of what you're facing and what's going on with our beloved church. And well, look, it is uncomfortable. Liars lie, though. So these are people that lie. No one, no, that's an old one. Me and, me and Taylor started hearing that as soon as we were doing Sant. The main four types of shows I did with Taylor Marshall were Sant Colin Mafia, Fatima Third Secret, um, Francis's Election, and what was the other one? Oh, Synod Coverage. Yeah. Pacha Mama. No, no, no. That was at the end. There's a fourth big category. I was thinking about this the other day. They were all kind of negative things. I'm forgetting what the fourth one was. I was thinking about it the other day. Pachamama came the last week of TNT. But, like, yeah, we're doing the show energetically, right? But there's no evidence that we're happy about the bad news. It's just kind of like... 
So the, the, they, there's literally no one produced a corpuscle of evidence like, oh, Gordon and Marshall are happy that bad stuff is happening. It's just, but, but Pope's planers say this because they're liars. Their whole project is lying. And so, of course, they're going to say, oh, you must be happy. Uh, your dog died? You're probably happy about that. Why do you say that? Well, because you're talking about it. What? No, I'm just telling you my dog died. I cried my eyes out. Doesn't mean I'm happy because I told you. I'm just telling you, if you're in, if you're like, you've been in a coma for 10 years or something, that's really who I'm talking to. It's probably one or two people per million. Have you been in a coma 10 years? Newsflash, the Pope hates you if you're a faithful Catholic. <laughs> I'm not telling anyone else because you already know. But the fact that I say it doesn't mean I think it's good news. But why would you be surprised that a liar lies about that as well? If you're going to lie about the Pope being good or loving you or loving tradition, I've heard them even say he loves tradition, not, not, not all the same party. I've heard some of these people say he loves tradition. What? Loves if they're going to lie about that, then they'll lie about the people who demur. I mean, think of Emperor's New Clothes. It's very obvious what's going on now. We know Francis hangs out with WEF, Jeffrey Sachs, Emma Bonino, Ban Ki-moon, the UN, the satanic UN. The clot shot, all of that. All of it. So this is not 10 years ago. We know the whole count. We know the tale of the tape. But pretty much everyone does. We're living in a post-clot shot world. So why, why pretend that, that these are new news items? I don't understand. Well, they're not pretending. They're just saying, Emperor's new clothes. There's one guy saying something very obvious. And there's not, luckily here, there's not just one. Basically, trad podcasters in America are like, the Emperor's totally new, dude. I'm, I'm looking at his like butt right now. <laughs> I, I'm seeing the Emperor's like naked butt. It's gross. He's old. Like, he probably should work out. If he, can, he should probably not skip leg day. I'm looking at the emperor right now, and the, the, the hoi polloi being fomented by froth-mouthed liars like Eminem are saying, get him. He, the emperor's got beautiful finery on. It's beautiful. How do you not see it? Why are you not submitting to the force of the mob? He's just naked, and it's really, really obvious. So, of course, then, they're going to lie about that in the Aesop's fable. It's a kid. Oh, well, this, kid, this kid's a liar. Liars will always lie about who's the liar, obviously, because there's oppositional force between um, the compulsiveness of your competing narrative arcs, yours and his. So he has to say, it's either you're lying or he's lying. This is not new. So that's a second lie that they will always be willing to tell in conjunction with the first one that the emperor has clothes on in the first place. Would to God that our emperor puts his clothes back on. It's gross. And what can you do? You can suffer and offer up your sufferings to Christ and pray for the church. That is what you do. It's very simple. Very simple list. Right. And pray as David Torkington told me yesterday. I love this so much. Simple thing from my childhood. Pray the morning offering. And you don't just have to pray it in the morning. It goes like this. Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary, 
I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and suffering of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my holy relatives and friends, and in particular for the Holy Father. Amen. It says for the intentions of the Holy Father, but that, that I, I'm not down with anymore. But it's beautiful. Offer that up three or four times a day. Every, every little minor project. Kids, if you're at school, you're about to take a quiz or a test, do it. Oh, craftsmen, you're about to make something in the shop, do it. Writers who are writing, say the offering. It's not a snooby, snooty fest. Like, okay, you might not have an hour to go pray in a prayer closet. Some, some phonies will try to make you feel bad for that. Offer up a quick prayer. Not everyone can speak to their, their spouse. Some people have to work more than others. Some guys barely get time at home. Not everyone can speak to their spouse in 12-hour coffee chats, right? Some people have to condense it, but here, take, take, take a short amount of time and say a quick prayer. This is that offering. God bless you. Des Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.